Bibles, if you will, to the book of Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. When we were talking about uh, what subject to think about, uh, the subject of faith, hope, and love from 1 Corinthians 13 and verse 13 uh, came up. And what uh, Brother Howard and Dustin and I wanted to do today is look at our faith and our hope and our love in Christ. And so we all chose the things that we wanted to talk about and we wanted to keep them in that order. And so that will be the order today. Uh, we'll look at faith uh, here in just a few moments. Uh, Brother Howard will then, uh, during our worship hour, look at the idea of hope in Christ. And then Dustin, after our meal, will talk to us about uh, love in Christ. The Holocaust is one of the most terrible, tragic, traumatic events of modern history. However, uh, throughout that, there were some stories that uh, came out of that, stories of bravery, stories of faith. In France, there was a Jewish family that was hidden by concern, some concerned French nationals in the basement of their house. The Jewish family waited there and waited for their deliverance. At the end of the war, the, war, the words were found scribbled on the wall of that basement. And these were the words. I believe in the sun even when it does not shine. I believe in love even when it is not given. I believe in God even when He is silent. You know, faith is foundational to Christianity, isn't it? It was also foundational when we turn back to the Old Testament. When we remember people like Abraham... In the book of Genesis chapter 12 or Genesis chapter 22, also when we remember that God called him to leave everything that he had known to go to a land that he would show him and that God would bless him with the Son. You remember that back in Genesis chapter 12. God said, I want you to leave where you're at. The Bible says he's about 75 years old and he says, I want you to leave. Not only that, I, I, I don't, I'm not even going to tell you where you're going. I'll show you where you're going. Later, he was promised that son, the blessing through that son. Abraham and Sarah both struggled with their faith at times, didn't they? But later when God asked Abram to offer his promised son to him, he was ready and about to sacrifice his son. The knife likely was in the air, ready to take the life of his son because God had asked him to and that God stopped him because he saw his faith in God. Also, think about back in um, uh, about the children of Israel. When God told them to march around the city of Jericho, about Joshua chapter 6, and they did exactly in detail exactly like God had asked them to do. March around the city once, and then on that seventh day, march around seven times, blowing the trumpets and giving a great shout. And, and the Bible says that the walls of Jericho had fallen. But here's what's interesting about what happened in Joshua chapter 6. You see, God had already told Joshua, this is what I want you to do. Here's the details I want you to do. And I am giving you Jericho. But they had to do it exactly the way God asked them to do. And they did that by faith. I think also about Gideon in Judges chapter 6 uh, through 8. Though he didn't think he was worthy... Uh, though he didn't think he was able, 
It was through his faith in God that God used him and led 300 men against thousands of Midianites. These are just a few of the Old Testament illustrations reminding us about how foundational faith was to all these stories we've heard about and read about in the Old Testament. There are also many illustrations that we can think about in the New Testament that remind us of how foundational faith is to the New Testament, but also to us today. And some of these, as we've looked over and studied in the book of John and looked at Jesus and the things that are going on in that day and time, we've also noticed some of those illustrations of faith. But I think one of the greatest examples that we read about in all of the New Testament, not the only example, not maybe not the greatest example, but one of the greatest examples of faith and the foundation of faith I think about is the Apostle Paul. I ask you to turn to the book of Hebrews chapter 11. And you know, there's a lot of speculation about about who wrote this book. But whoever wrote this book, there's a lot of evidence. There's a lot of evidence that whoever wrote this book spent time around the Apostle Paul. There's evidence from the language and stuff that's talked about. Uh, and, And that's the reason that a lot of people do believe that it was the Apostle Paul. But there's evidence, though, that if it's not the Apostle Paul, that the person who wrote this has heavily been influenced by the Apostle Paul. The writer in Hebrews spends a great deal of time, a great deal of ink, trying to convince these fellow Hebrews that Christ is better. Stop looking back in the past and look to the present and the future in Christ. Faith is important, he would remind them. Faith is of necessity. Christ is better, not all those things that you want to go back to. Christ is better. One commentator said this. Listen to what he says. The degree of our experience of hope that's what Brother Howard's going to talk to us about, is proportionate to the degree of our faith. 1 Corinthians 13, now by these three, faith, hope, and love. And so this commentator says, uh, the degree of our hope is proportionate to the degree of our faith. The more profound our faith, the more profound our hope. A deeply intense faith spawns a deeply intense hope. This was important to the writer of Hebrews, he says, because of the rising storm of persecution that was about to fall on the church. He knew that the key to survival was a solid faith and an attendant hope. That is why in Hebrews 10 and verse 38, he quoted from Habakkuk chapter 2 and verse 4, But my righteous one will live by faith. There's a spiritual axiom implicit here. Faith produces hope and hope produces perseverance. Without faith, one will inevitably shrink back. And that's the place where these people are in the book of Hebrews. If they didn't have faith and placed their faith in Christ, they would shrink back. They would go back to living that life of Judaism. 
under the old covenant, under the old law, which the New Testament teaches there's a new covenant and a new law. But there's been some confusion about faith. According to uh, an article uh, in this track from Apologetics Press, they say, first, uh, this was uh, some of the things that contribute to the confusion of faith. First, faith has been defined by its opponents as the power of believing what you know isn't true. Or an illogical belief in the occurrence of the improbable. Second, they say, even neutral authorities have added to the conflict with reputable dictionaries suggesting that faith is a firm belief in something for which there is no proof or belief without need of certain proof. Third, some in the religious community itself have been responsible or added to much of the confusion. There are many examples, but here's a few. In, its, in his introduction to the world of literature of the Old Testament, John T. Willis has written, listen to what he says, The Bible claims to be the inspired Word of God, 2 Timothy 3 and verse 16. There is no way to prove or disprove this claim absolutely. Although arguments have been advanced on both sides of the issue, it must be accepted by faith or rejected by unbelief. And when we look at all those definitions, even that from a religious person, we sit there and go, uh, well, I mean, it sounds good. It could be or it could not be. Now, let's think about this. If faith was could or could not be, would there be any reason for us to be here today? Could be. Remember what Paul says? If the resurrection of Jesus Christ is not true, then we of, our, of all men are most pitiful. I mean, if, if faith cannot be proven, if God cannot be proven, if the Scriptures cannot be proven, then really, of all people, we are most pitiful because we've taken time. Listen, those of us that got back last night, we got back about 10.40. We have wasted our time getting up this morning and being here. If there's no faith, if there's no proof, then we are wasting our time. Every Sunday... We're wasting our time. Really, if there's no faith, then we're no different from any other good group of people who want to gather and just commune together. But the Hebrew writer would tell us differently, as well as other places in Scripture. The Hebrew writer would say that faith has Evidence. Look at what he says. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 1. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Now just think about those words. I'll read it to you from a couple of other um, uh, translations. But think about that word substance. If I fix food and it has substance, man, it's going to last, right? It's foundational. It's, 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 I can be confident in it. It has substance. There's no fluff in faith. It has substance. 
Uh, the New International Version says, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for, assurance in what we do not see. The English Standard Version says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. So even Scripture tells us there is evidence that brings us confidence and assurance in the things pertaining to life and godliness that we can put our faith and our trust in and we can take it to the bank. That's what the Bible says. We should not and we do not have a blind faith. We do not come out of could be. We come out of substantial, confident, convicted faith. The character of biblical faith has nothing to do with the probability nor belief in something with no proof. Even Peter wrote, remember 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 15, we know this verse, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense. Listen, I know defenses can sometimes be twisted, but if I don't have a defense, why say anything, right? And Paul says, listen, you be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks your reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Now, look at the context of the section of this Scripture, beginning in verse 13 of 1 Peter chapter 3. And who is he who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you are blessed. And do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. Listen, if you want to follow truth, if you want to follow those things that are good, if you want to follow those things that are righteous, do not be afraid. There's proof, there's evidence. No matter what the naysayers may bring to us, the threats... Why, Peter? Here it is. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. Maybe in a way he's saying, know in your heart there is evident, evidence. Therefore, because of that, always be ready to give a defense to anyone who asks you a reason for the hope Brother Howard's going to give talk to us about that is in you with meekness and fear. Having a good conscience. That when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. For it is better if it is the will of God to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. So wouldn't you agree that, that, that defense requires evidence? Right? And based on Scripture and... Uh, science and other things, there is evidence. One commentator said this, 
kind of ironic that uh, what this guy said because one one of the movies that was watched on the van or on the bus rather uh, going to Atlanta was the movie I can only imagine. And if you remember in that movie, um, Bart when he really starts taking on singing, his teacher puts him in the lead role of a uh, musical play in high school. And he's singing this song, or, or he's singing from the song Oklahoma. And this commentator says, Faith's character is, in a word, certitude. A dynamic certainty about what God has promised. It is not a feeling like the line from Oklahoma. Oh, what a beautiful morning. Oh, what a beautiful day. I've got a wonderful feeling. Everything's going my way. He says it is not optimism or bootstrap positive thinking either. It is not a hunch. It is not sentimental. An old song says you got to have faith. The sentiment being that if you somehow have faith in faith, you will be okay. And faith is not brainless. The cynical Ambrose Pierce wrongly described faith in his Devil's Dictionary as belief without evidence in what is told by one who speaks without knowledge of things without parallel. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks your reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. And do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled, having a good conscience. The commentator goes on to say, and by the way, I went back and read from 1 Peter chapter 3. The commentator goes on to say, True faith is neither brainless or sentimental feeling. It is a solid conviction resting on God's words that make the future present and the invisible seen. Faith has at its core a massive sense of certainty. The great Bishop Westcott says of verse 1, the general scope of, that, of the statement is to indicate that the future and the unseen can be made real by faith. Do we believe that? We should. We should. Because if not, man, let's just get up and dance and party. It doesn't matter, right? It's what Paul says. We're most pitiful by doing what we're doing. But the Bible would say otherwise. There is evidence. There is certain evidence. And therefore we too can live by faith. In fact, look at verse, verses 2 and 3. For by it the elders obtained a good testimony. By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the Word of God, so that the things which are seen 
We're not made of things which are visible. In Romans chapter 1 and verse 20. Actually, let's turn. Hold your finger there. Put a marker in Hebrews chapter 11. Turn to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1 and verse 20 may be a a, a very uh, familiar passage to us. In in fact, when it comes to uh, talking about uh, the evidence in creation, uh, verse 20, Paul says, For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes are clearly seen. They're clearly seen. Reminds me of what Paul also said uh, about... Uh, the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. What did he say about the works of the flesh? They are clearly evident. Everybody knows it. Even the people not sitting in church buildings today, they know the works of the flesh. Even people that are not religious, even people not sitting in buildings today, they know what sin is. Now how is that? And Paul says, since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes are clearly seen. They're evident. Being understood by the things that are made. Even His eternal power and Godhead so that they are without excuse. And some of the passages that have come to my mind when I think about creation, it's either Job chapter 12 or Job chapter 37. When the Bible says that even the animals and the creatures act like they're supposed to, in a way acknowledging God, because they do like they are created to do. But look at the context of where Paul places this. Romans chapter 1, beginning in verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. That's what the world does. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them. For God has shown it to them. To mankind. For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. There is no excuse, Paul says, for anyone to disbelieve in God. Because although they knew God since the beginning... They did not glorify Him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts. And here's what disbelief is described at in Romans chapter 1. And their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools 
and change the glory of the incorruptible God into the image of man, uh, an image made like corruptible man, and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. In other words, Paul describes how uh, back in the Old Testament, really even in this day and time, that mankind, because of their unbelief, though it is evident and God has shown Himself to them, through the creation, it's evident that all things act like they're supposed to act because that's the way God created them to act. That they have become foolish and futile. So foolish that they try to bring God in this little box of an image, even created in the image of creation. And Paul says that's foolish. Psalm 19 and verse 1, the Bible says, The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of His hands. Have you ever seen those pictures? Now, I don't, I, I don't know. You can look up in the sky and you can see all kinds of things. And with our creative minds, we can see a lot of things. But have you seen those pictures sometimes of, of clouds, people taking clouds, and it revealing the, what they say, this... The face of God or the face of Jesus. Praying hands. Different things like that. What about something as simple as the rainbow? When we were flying down to Florida, we saw several in the sky. And if you've ever flown, my first time flying, I had the same experience as Brother Roy. Wow. How can you look at this and not believe in God. Isaiah chapter 40, the Bible tells us about the circle of the earth. Science, NASA, continues to show that the earth is round. That the planets are round and the way they are aligned. But God had already said this, Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 22, For since the creation of the world... I'm sorry, that's a different verse. But Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 2, the Bible talks about the circle of the earth. Uh, in Job chapter 26 and verse 7, uh, the Bible speaks of how the earth hangs in space. He spreads out the northern sky over the empty space. He suspends the earth over nothing. Remember studying that in class? And how the earth spins on its axis. And nothing's holding it there. It's because even the planets are acting exactly like God created them to do. What about the water cycle? A lot has been studied about the water cycle. And how the water just simply empties into the sea, yet the sea is not overflowing. Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. The wind goes toward the south and turns around to the north. The wind whirls about continually and comes again on its circuit. All the rivers run into the sea, and yet the sea is not full. To the place from which the rivers come, there they return again. Seaworthy ships like Noah's Ark. Genesis chapter 6 and verse 15. 
And this is how you shall make it. The length of the ark shall be 300 cubits, its width 50 cubits, and its height 30 cubits. And seamen tell us, and engineers tell us, that this is one of the most seaworthy measurements around. Well, there's so much other stuff that I'd like to share, but, but I want to close up with what does this mean for us? There's lots of proof for evidence. But what does it mean for us? It means that biblical faith, we can read in Hebrews chapter 11, biblical faith moves to action. By faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice. By faith, Enoch was taken up taken away so that he did not see death. Uh, By faith, Noah being divinely warned of things not saying, he built an ark. By faith, Abraham obeyed, we've already talked about, and left when God called him. By faith, Sarah herself received strength to conceive seed. By faith, Abraham. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of his sons. By faith, Joseph, when he was dying, made mention of the departure of the children of Israel. And also, uh, the story of Joseph, how he lived and did by faith. By faith, Moses led the children of Israel. He chose to suffer affliction with God's people rather than enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. By faith, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they endured the fiery furnace in Daniel chapter 3. By faith, even the murderous, vicious Saul, when he met the road in Acts chapter, met the Lord on the road to Damascus in Acts chapter 9, had faith in God and His plan, and that Saul himself had been wrong. And because of that faith, you read in Acts chapter 9 there, beginning about verse 20, the Bible says... Once he had been baptized, had his sins washed away, those scales fell from his eyes. The Bible says he went immediately and he preached the Christ in the synagogues. The very thing he was persecuting, because of faith, the faith led him to do what he was doing, but now because of faith in Christ, it led him to preach Christ. Because of faith in Christ, Paul was able to write and live by things like this. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live, I live in the flesh. I live by faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. I live by faith in the Son of God. I live by evidence that the Son of God is who He said He was and is. Paul knew who he believed in and had faith in, and that was Christ. He wrote to Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 12, For this reason I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know who I have believed and am persuaded that He is able to keep what I have committed to Him unto that day. And then in Hebrews chapter 11, faith, it moves us to action, but it looks forward. Now whatever's going on in your life today, realize that's just today. You see, by faith we can look beyond. Look at what uh, the Hebrew writer says in Hebrews chapter 11 beginning in verse 13. These all died in faith. Not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed them that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. But now, verse 16, they desire a better, 
that is a heavenly country. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God. For He has prepared a city for them. You see, in faith, and because of our faith in Christ, we know this is not the end. We know that whatever pain and whatever sorrow and whatever heartache this world brings to us, it's not the end. There's something better. And that's the way we should live. Uh, real quickly, I want to remind you of an illustration I've used before uh, of the story of a preacher who was doing a, a funeral service. And uh, it had been explained to him what was happening. The lady was laying in the casket with a fork. you remember? And he gets up and tells the story that as she was growing up, that she was always told that keep her fork because the best was yet to come. And when she passed away because of her faith in Christ, as a declaration from the casket, she wanted people to understand that through faith in Christ, the best is yet to come. Keep living by faith in Christ. There's evidence and we can take confidence that we can live by faith knowing what tomorrow holds. Thank you.